0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: In my personal relationship with Shelly, she once told me, if anything ever happens to me, find my body.
2: Welcome to Stand Up, Speak Up a podcast dedicated to spreading awareness about issues that usually get swept under the rug. Today, we continue our series, Finding Shelley DeRoche. Now, here's your host, Carla Stevens tolstoy
0: Shelley has been missing since January 2016. She was 41 years old at the time of her last sighting in London, Ontario, Canada, around Hamilton Road, an area of the city well-known for its dangerous street-level sex trade. If you missed the first two parts of our series, you can go back to learn more about Shelley's life and her disappearance. Today in part three, we'll tackle the difficult question of what happened to Shelley Duroger? Did her high risk lifestyle have anything to do with her disappearance? London police say they haven't made a connection, but that doesn't mean it's not a possibility and a big one.
2: With Shelley being the third woman living a high-risk lifestyle to disappear from London in the last decade, this investigation raised the question of whether or not London police are doing enough to keep sex workers safe, and are these investigations treated with the same severity as other missing persons? Remember in Part 2, we heard about rumors and claims by sex workers that London police were using their power and getting favors from them. This was investigated by the Special Investigations Unit, but nothing came of it. And that's just one possibility in an endless list of things that may have led to Shelley's disappearance.
0: So what could have happened to Shelley? Well, some possibilities may seem more realistic than others. The fact is, we simply don't know. So nothing can be ruled out. Did she leave on her own? Or was Shelley simply in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or a drug overdose? Maybe a serial killer? Was it a bad John who abducted her and killed Shelley? Or is he still holding her hostage? Being a criminologist and former London police officer, Mike Artfeld told us his thoughts on what might have happened. And even though Shelley's disappearance is a complete mystery, you'll be shocked to what kind of picture Mike can paint using his experience and statistics. He talks about what might have happened and what type of person could be involved. And so Shelley's out there, she's She's not out there because she wants to be out there walking that beat.
3: So are you familiar
0: with the street that she
3: was last seen on? Hamilton Road, yes. That's one of two corridors commonly used by people who I would say are either vulnerable or preying on people who are vulnerable, either who are trafficking them or who are going there knowing that they can find easy and accessible people there.
0: So who do you think are the potential profile of people that could have, you know, hurt Shelly
3: or in the worst case? Well, I worked in a community policing unit that did vice stings along that street for three years and other streets, I should stress. And quite frankly, the Johns or the people coming down to buy or sell all kinds of things, whether it's controlled substances or, you know, stolen property, what have you, come from all walks of life, and there is no single convenient profile. A lot come from rural areas, and this is consistent with what we saw in the period discussed in Murder City, whereby this London, by virtue of its location, its precarious location, sort of as a frontier town surrounded by mostly rural small towns or just rural land, period, is sort of the closest place to go for lack of a better word, shopping. And a lot of people we would catch in these things came from, you know, 30, 45 minutes out of town. And London was just the, the most convenient stopover for that purpose. And they were regulars. They were coming to town for no other purpose than to do this. And we saw this in Murder City where victims acquired in London were frequently transported out to those rural areas because they were convenient dumping sites or vice versa, uh, offenders just coming into the city to acquire, kill, and in many cases dispose of the victim in the city and then be gone and back in another jurisdiction within the hour before the victim's even found. And we see this is uh, not uncommon in, for instance, border cities, cities like Juarez, Mexico, that has a major what we call femicide problem, which is mass and serial murders and mass graves and and human trafficking involving at-risk females. And then also just frontier towns or port cities generally, where it draws in people from far and wide and they bring their problems with them. And the people who live there and are residents there are sort of bear the brunt of this.
0: So do you think it could be a John that picked her up? Someone she knew? Do you think it was just a stranger? I mean, what are the chances of somebody she knows versus a stranger?
3: Well, stranger and stranger attacks are statistically very rare, but Vulnerable persons are disproportionately at risk for stranger-on-stranger attacks. Targeted strangers are almost as rare, but more common and much more common involving vulnerable persons where someone is seen regularly at a specific location, their routine is memorized by a motivated predator or offender, and the offender knows the target to recognize them, but the target or the victim or would-be victim has no idea who that they're being stalked effectively. So again, vulnerable persons are disproportionately at risk and that's why they're vulnerable for any, for all sorts of crime. I wouldn't want to it'd be pure supposition to based on what we know, which is next to nothing to say it was a stranger versus a targeted stranger versus say an acquaintance or, or, or someone involved in her being trafficked. I will say without divulging too much. And again, Here's an example of you can provide some information to the public. This is not a secret. Uh, I'll just remind your listeners that this is fairly widely known. Between Shelley and now three other women, at least, we're talking now four, maybe five women who have disappeared from that same area and never been found really since about 2009. So this is not a complete outlier. It falls within a broader pattern of uh, women who have gone missing. And again, this is all public information. There have been calls for information on these other cases. One of them, uh, Vanessa Fotheringham, there is someone charged by a warrant application now. There's a warrant out for this guy who was apparently taken off to Mexico, and who she knew, or at least they were acquaintances, is a similar pattern unfolding with these other women. Is there one person who has targeted them all? We don't know because there's no body. There's no there's no word as to where they are, and we have no idea what happened that, you know, last day of their lives that brought them into contact with whoever took them.
0: So do you think this is a potential serial killer is what you're saying? That's
3: It can't be ruled out. It is what we would call in the Murder Accountability Project, a suspicious cluster. And when you see in compressed in terms of space and time, these spikes where victims whether the female or not fitting a similar demographic profile in terms of age in terms of ethnicity in terms of lifestyle disappear or are found dead under similar circumstances in this case no body being found at all and no word from the victim at all to suggest that they're you know being confined somewhere against their will or have simply relocated it should be, and this is not a, a huge stretch. I mean, this is supported by the peer reviewed literature, it should be interpreted as a pattern and investigated as a pattern until evidence to the contrary presents itself. And that's exactly why, based on similar findings in Cleveland, they have assembled a task force to investigate this because they know what they're looking at. I mean, we know what we were looking at when we saw it, and so did the local media. And now the police, you know, admitted. They deal they clock hundreds of murders in that city a year. And this pattern sort of went unrecognized until we put it all on one page for them. And again, I think it's important when you see these obvious patterns present themselves to investigate the cases as related until proven otherwise.
0: Based on your experience, how would you profile what would be the profile of this potential serial killer for these if there if it was a serial killer how would you how
3: would you describe them? Well, there's certain things you can automatically glean uh, just from what we know already. So, you can deduce that the offender has a car, and you, when you have an offender with a car, so what we're proceeding, first of all, on the presumption that Shelley, as with the other victims, were taken against their will, regardless of how that initial introduction occurred and regardless of what happened next. But If you're dealing with an offender with a a vehicle, we know over the years looking at, again, thousands and thousands of cases and what offenders with vehicles have in common. They tend to be employed, which is why they're able to afford a vehicle. Uh, With that, they tend to exhibit more organized traits versus disorganized traits. So they are likely employed in a stable fashion in some kind of skilled or semi-skilled job. They own or have access to a vehicle. By extension of that, they typically have access to a private residence. So if they're living with someone, which in many cases they are, they are. it's usually an intimate partner. This isn't someone who likely lives with three other people in a frat house or two roommates in an apartment. They likely have their own apartment or live with uh, a spouse of, of some kind, a partner of some kind. We also know that they're more likely to abuse alcohol and that alcohol... Or recreational drugs are used as disinhibitors either immediately before or during the crime. Again, this is not clairvoyance. This is, again, looking at dominant patterns among offenders who have used vehicles to acquire and kidnap uh, females You know, over the last 100 years. Maybe not 100 years, 50 years. I mean, the data is, is significant. This is published, actually, all in my book, Murder City. And then the initial primary source on that is... Eric Hickey's serial murderers and their victims, which is still really the definitive text on offender profiling in an academic sense. And he really is a luminary and unrivaled luminary in terms of studying these, these people. Beyond that, the FBI keeps track of what they call disposal pathways. So what happens when a offender takes a victim at one location and transports them to another location? Beyond that, they have a specific type of disposal pathway called disposal pathway number one, where a victim is transported and then also concealed. So in this case, because none of these women, including Shelley, have been found, we can assume that whether it's a house or somewhere else, they have been hidden, whether alive or dead. So some things that we know about offenders who use disposal pathway number one, predominantly Caucasian. Again, this is looking at thousands of similar cases. Most tend to be between 25 and 45. Most were working full-time at the time of the offense for which they were arrested. Most had at least a high school education. Most had a trade school education. Interesting, over half have served in some type of military or paramilitary initiative. Everything from scouts through to reserves through to regular forces, which is interesting. Again, this is U.S. data. There's nothing definitive on this in Canada, but that's the closest sort of reference point uh, that we can have. About half have been diagnosed with a major personality or psychiatric disorder before this crime, and that could include a wide range or a wide range of things. And all, so it's 100% of people who have done this historically have a criminal record, so they are already in the system. And the police, they should be known to police And this is precisely why it's important to track what we call gateway or preparatory behaviors and why those John stings, those vice stings I told you about are so important because the people we are stopping today who just seem like regular guys, you know, trolling Hamilton road, you know, two years from now, what are they doing? They know where to come. They don't live in the city. They have no lawful purpose for being on the street. What else are they up to? And what are their real motives? And that's why, again, these grassroots initiatives, keeping the public abreast are so important.
0: Do you think he would be charming?
3: Difficult to say, again, would be supposition. We don't, th- those markers are very difficult to quantify when, again, you're looking at statistically breaking down who these people are. You can say, you know, he's Caucasian versus something else. You can say, you know, he has got a high school education. That's that's all quantifiable, verifiable information. How do you define charming, Right.
0: Yeah, that's true. I guess the ability to persuade them to get in the car could just be money.
3: Exactly, and how one person is defined as charming will depend widely on again the victim's own background and and, and what they're doing at the time. So we know again that psychopaths, for instance, criminal psychopaths, are uh, notably charming, and that's why they're able to get away with a lot and you know, acquire their victims. There's no obvious evidence that we're dealing with a psychopath in this case, and there's no documented history between psychopathy and organized offenders and or those who use disposal pathway number one. So uh, I did mention about 40 to 45% have an existing personality disorder or have been treated for some kind of psychiatric condition. Psychopathy is not a personality disorder or a psychiatric condition. It is really a personality defect. And classifying it is problematic in its own right. So on the balance of probabilities, uh, he's probably not a psychopath. But again, we would just be guessing and you're right charm in this case could be something as simple as the offer of drugs the offer of money i mean two very persuasive forces when you're dealing with vulnerable people who have sort of slipped between society's fingers if you will
0: what about the chances of being kidnapped or harmed by any of the gangs are there they organized like big drug dealers around there or could she have been in the wrong place at the wrong time
3: Again, we're dealing with transportation and concealment. Again, wherever she is, alive or or not, the offender has essentially led those dominoes to fall and put things in motion with the intent that she not be found and not be able to contact people. That's inconsistent with, again, street-level crime. Uh, I mean, again, we'd be speculating. Are there bad people in this scene? Obviously, Uh, If she was being trafficked, is there an organized element to that, at least in terms of uh, the sex trade and and human trafficking and the things that go along with that, including violence and, and drugs and connections to criminal organizations? Yes. But again, whether we're dealing with a predatory serial offender or we're dealing with, you know, that all these women have one thing in common and that may be that they are being trafficked by the same person or group, we don't know yet. And we won't know until we get more information. And when I say we, I mean including the police. uh, as, As best I know, there is no new information in these cases, which is why your best lead is, again, the public. Someone always knows something. So in the absence of hearing from her or finding her remains or some other evidence to go on, you have to follow up on every tip. And you can only get those tips if you keep the case in the light and if you keep the public involved.
2: And that's our goal with this podcast series, to keep Shelley's story in the public eye and hopefully find new information that can help solve the case. At the very least, bring attention to the issue of keeping sex workers safe. When we first took on this project, Carla had no idea just how far reaching the podcast would be. Sure, the regular stand-up, speak-up audience would hear about Shelley, but this series has garnered so much attention that Carla has been interviewed on CBC Radio, Sirius XM Satellite Radio, featured in the London Free Press, National Post, and more. This has led to thousands of additional downloads of the podcast and far more attention for Shelley than we ever could have imagined. Plus, as we mentioned, an anonymous donor came forward, allowing us to display billboards in the City of London with Shelley's photo and an email address for tips that would come directly to us. We'll be giving it some time to see if any tips come in, and if so, do our best to follow up on those tips, so expect an update later in the series. Soon, we'll hear from Shelley's friends and family who have some thoughts of their own on what may have happened to Shelley. But right now, back to Carla and Mike Arnfield
0: do you think someone at her age and her number of years you no know, on the streets she would have a pimp or would she just be more of an independent do you think
3: that would be on the older side to be trafficked and have a full-time pimp again based on my experience whether you call them a pimp or, or something else uh, that tends to be you know people who are Coming into the industry or transitioning into, I call it an industry. It's, it's not an, a recognized legal industry, but it, into the who are forced into this lifestyle. I think is a is a, is a better term. That doesn't rule out someone is trafficking her in a in a less conventional sense. So perhaps she's not one of ten women being trafficked, but this is someone who has his hooks into her and is plying her with drugs and is having her run errands for him and is perhaps providing room and board in exchange for her doing this. That is still trafficking. We, we again, have these impressions, I think, through films like Taken that trafficking groups are these supervillains who have networks all over the world. It's not always that sophisticated. It can be one person trafficking another for something as simple as... You know, just getting their own drugs. It's using another person against their better judgment or their will to, to do this and, and trapping them. And, and it's very plausible that someone who known to her has been doing this to her.
0: What are the chances she's, I mean, one of the comments they've made is, you know, she could be off partying. She could just not want to be found. But she hasn't accessed any of her money and she hasn't contacted any of her family or friends, which she normally would do, you know, every week or twice a week.
3: Yeah, this has always been the potential explanation offered by everybody. Again, if it's in Murder City and you just have to, bat, you want to bang your head against the wall when you hear this. I mean, the one case, February 1968, an 11-year-old boy goes missing overnight in 30 below weather and several other children had already been abducted and murdered in the city. And the police response is, Oh, he must've run away. How does an 11 year old in a city under siege by sexual predators with no money have the ability to run away with no resources in minus 30 degree weather. And we hear this again all the time. Well, maybe they're just off partying, you know, for months, for years, or maybe they just ran away. Well, you have to look on the balance of probabilities. And we hear these stories in the United States for the most part of people who you know vanished for 40 years and were presumed dead or legally declared dead. And they turn up and they're living in another state and they have a family and they actually just wanted to disappear or in some sense, I guess, fake their own death. But when we look at a group of vulnerable women and That type of behavior is so wildly out of character for them, and they all have this one single thing in common, again, in a location and in a city with a history of this. And it's very disingenuous to suggest that not only Shelley, but all these other women are at the same time. They've just absconded from their friends and family and without accessing their personal funds or or government resources are on an island somewhere. I mean, it just makes no sense. And
0: do you think, I mean, that's what they first, that's why they didn't start right away, right? They said, well, maybe she'll come back. But the whole argument I think I'm hearing from you, which makes a lot of sense, is somebody that's vulnerable should be higher on the list in a vulnerable part of town and not put down as not a priority.
3: Right. And we do know that these people come in and out of focus all the time. They, they show up in the system, then they vanish, and no one really knows where they go. And then they show up again, and they're arrested, or they're seen somewhere. That's not uncommon. But when you look, again, at the individual, and you look at the duration of time, and you look at these telltale markers, such as the one or two people they kept in continuous contact with, their bank account their physician who's providing them, for instance, with required medication, uh, close friends and family, cell phone use, all of this, and you add it together and you realize that it falls within a broader pattern of similar things happening to similar women. Again, to think that maybe they all just took off and, and are on a bender somewhere now for two years or longer in some cases. Uh, at, at what point, like they did quite uh, admirably in Cleveland, do you sort of say it's all all hands on deck cuz we've got a major problem.
0: What do you think the chances are that Shelley is in somebody's basement or held against her will or been been killed?
3: I wouldn't want to speculate necessarily. There's too little to go on, but I, I unfortunately it, it doesn't it would seem implausible that you could keep someone captive this long and considering the other women who were declared vulnerable uh, and loosely associated to her, who have never been found as some, again, going back to 2009, that are they still being held captive? Like that's even less likely. So it seems that there is a common pattern to all of these that suggests that they're likely not alive, but, we have to hold out some hope that at the same time, I think if someone were to definitively make a decision that these women are dead, and this is a case of corpus delecti, or where there's no body to be found to confirm death or cause of death, but the preponderance of evidence suggests that it is a case of homicide. I think if someone were to definitively just say that, that it would probably kickstart a more serious investigation and, and the type of task force, again, that we're seeing in Cleveland and, and hopefully soon in Atlanta based on now what we're doing with the Murder Accountability Project.
0: So if they said that her death was homicide versus missing, they'd put more sor- more resources on it?
3: They would have to. As per the provincial adequacy standards, you can't then just sort of sit back. and At that point, it becomes a major case investigation and there's a certain number of boxes that need to be ticked uh, and the clock starts running.
0: Do you think it's maybe convenient then for the police force to keep everybody as a missing status?
3: Well, with the Fotheringham case, they did not. It took a long time, but they have laid a, a corpus delicti case here. They've charged this guy without a body. It's very rare, uh, but it can be done. And uh, unfortunately, it, it's a little bit too late because he's thought to no longer be in the country. So this evidence that they've got may never be challenged in court because unless he's arrested, we'll never know what evidence they had to to lay this charge. But they took the risk in that case, and they said, again, looking at the preponderance of evidence, there's no question that she was endangered missing, enough time has passed, she's likely dead, and here's how we know it, and this is who we think did it. In these other cases, the Bordado case, and there was comparatively little media attention on that case was investigated as a probable death uh, and the status of that now I don't know. and the status of Shelley's case I don't definitively know other than what the police are saying publicly, which is when the, I mean when the family was really sort of advocating for her, they were saying, well, we don't know what happened and sort of shrugging their shoulders. So I think if you were to look at all the women who are missing as a set again investigated as a set and go on the record and say, like Vanessa Fotheringham, they're likely dead. Let's start figuring out what the hell is going on. Uh, I think you'd get some major traction much more quickly.
0: There's two things that Shelley did that make her very unique. One, when she was quite young, so 16, she was brave enough to get her pimp put in jail, which is, is shocking, you know, because that takes a lot of courage and guts. And she also sued a Toronto policeman for improper conduct to her. So it's kind of an an interesting story that way, because she was brave enough to kind of speak out about things. And don't we kind of at least owe looking for her?
3: Yeah. And that's very important with respect to what we call victimology and This is something I discuss in a couple of my books, but knowing the victims, so regardless of what happened to her, she's a victim, we know that. So we can speak of her as a victim, I think, fairly. Knowing the core attributes or centeredness of the victim, how they would respond under pressure, how they respond to authority figures, how often they drink or consume illicit substances, their sleeping patterns how their sense of humor, their confidence, all of these things, and demonstrated, as demonstrated previously, the best indication of future behavior is past behavior, and the best indication of what a victim would do when encountered with a very threatening situation is how they responded to stress stimuli in the past. So that's very important in terms of developing a, a, a composite of who Shelley was when she was last confirmed alive. And then what type of offender might be drawn to that and what you would have done if things were going bad, which says then also something about the offender that says that they were maybe forced to make a series of reactionary decisions based on the victim's response that then change the outcome. And that could explain things like, for instance, the transportation. We don't know, but. Victimology is really looking at the crime through the life of the victim, and that includes not only their last two days alive and you know how they came in contact with their offender and the decisions made, but how those decisions reflect a lifetime of other decisions and upbringing and general character. So that's very important, and I think that's something that the public should be aware of in every case.
0: Still to come, Shelly's sister Laura tells us about a potential stalker Shelly warned her about. And Shelly's friend Jamie explains why, when they last saw each other, something was different.
4: Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Cundell, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Welcome
2: back to Stand Up, Speak Up, part three of our Finding Shelley DeRoche series. Carla now speaks with Shelly's sister, Laura, who we heard from earlier in the series.
0: How vulnerable are girls like, like Shelly and, and anyone out there to be taken advantage of?
5: I think extremely, like, because they're in a situation where they're meeting people that are involved in, like, criminal activity. They're involved in, in drugs, You're meeting strangers on a daily basis. You're meeting stalkers, people that have mental health issues. Did did Shelly have any stalkers? uh, She did tell me about one situation, about a trucker that um, was obsessed with her and just if anything happened to her to like remember who this person is but at the time I wasn't really listening because I didn't think it was a concern like she would go off and and tell me stories about the streets and how it would be funny to see some guy in a crack house you know like on crack that he's never done crack before and how he was acting just because she thought it was funny. But to me, I would say shelly that's not funny. Like I don't care about your your stories and and those type of environments. I just don't want you to do a drug.
0: Did you talk to the police about this truck driver?
5: Yes, they know
0: everything. Do you think that they have tracked this truck driver down? I have no clue. Do you think that Shelley had any enemies from her past that would ever want to come and hurt her?
5: Um, not that I can think of.
0: It could be random that she didn't even know the person. Exactly. Like
5: it's either a John that had been watching her for a while or that she had ripped off. Multiple times, and he got pissed off and decided to do this. Or it was someone who was in a dealer house—the um, people that she used to socialize with when she did drugs.
0: It's either one of those two. Laura's sentiments were echoed by one of Shelley's close friends, Jamie who has in-depth details about Shelly's life working on the streets.
1: In Shelly's particular case, a lot of the Johns that she saw, it, London's well, not a very, very big city. It's not Toronto. And she's been doing it since well, she was very young. So a lot of the Johns she's seen before a lot of the people that she's digged, hustled, she's. Hustled them probably fifty times the, before. So she, these are not new people. I can draw. You might see somebody today, and you'll never see them again. Right out of six million people up here, you're going to see the same ones over and over and over again. And she had a, she had a network of people that she, she obviously knew. It was rare that she would get into a car with somebody that she didn't know. In fact, I, if I remember correctly, she likely wouldn't get into a, into a car with somebody that she didn't know. Most of her Jones were um, people that she had seen and known over the years and done a trick to, or two.
0: I mean, you talk quite a bit that, you know, obviously she didn't want to have sex with, with men, so she would, would rob them, hustle them, like, was that kind of a game to her? Was that?
1: Well, you get a power trip out of that, right? So if you if you can get a John, let's say that somebody stopped and yeah, you know, you size up the person that, okay, this person doesn't look too rough and I haven't seen this person around in, in the general community before. I'm talking about like, the crack community or subculture. And if she hasn't seen that person, but the person looks naive enough, you can likely string that person on for, for a period of time. So, you know, you might play a game with that individual or you say, okay, it's $40 for her blowjob, but I need the money up. And I I want to use that money because I'm going to run into the crack house because the dealer in the crack house currently has my purse the, or a belonging of mine, and he's not letting it go because I borrowed some money off him. But if I can get the $40 to him, I can get my purse and I'll be right back out, I promise. So you, you know, you run in and uh, you do your crack in there and you look out the window and it's the John still waiting for you. You go, hmm, that's pretty interesting. You're still waiting for me. And you're basically laughing at huh? him. And then you you come out and about you know after you've done doing in your head or whatever, you come out and you uh for another forty sorry, no he's not he's not giving it to me for forty. I thought he would, but and then you start you know putting on the soft stuff whatever and and you know he's there thinking only about one thing sex with you maybe, and maybe he's gonna open up his wallet and give another twenty or another forty dollars, right? And you can push some people and you probably get all like a hundred and twenty, hundred and forty bucks out of some people before they finally have had enough and and off they go. So the hustling can go on for quite a little while, right? And it's it's a dangerous game to play too because, you know, at some point everybody has a breaking point and the guys as they're trying to trying to get laid or trying to get a coach off or whatever, and you're stealing as money, they're going to get mad at you. And you have and you have, so you have to be wary of that, and you have to be able to read body language and read behaviors and know when enough is enough and to stop and then just to disappear. So at some point, you're going to go into the house or wherever you are. Uh, you have an escape route. You're going to get in, and you're just not going to come back to the vehicle. And, um and, and it doesn't leave them in a very good place. They can't go looking for you. They're not going to do that. They're just going to drive away furious, mind you, but they're not going to... What are they going to do? They know they have no um, recourse.
0: So what do you think happened to Shelley? There is the the other thing people yeah. say that she got kidnapped by human traffickers, but... When I did the interview with the, the detective from the London Police Force at the very beginning after um, Shelley just
1: disappeared... He asked me the same thing. He says, what do you, what do you think has happened? And I, I said, I'm going to be totally honest. I don't know. And for anybody that doesn't understand, death can come from a million different sources. In my experience, it's not... Serial killers. That's really not what that post about. <laughs> it's that they're born here, but they do the killing elsewhere. <laughs> Those are very, very rare circumstances. You know, drug addicts die all the time, and they don't die by serial killers. They die because of the drug, so an overdose in many cases, or uh, misadventures, if you will. Uh, you, you rip off the wrong wrong dealer. <laughs> You know, yeah, if that's going to do you. in and Shelley did have a lot of enemies. So in Shelley's lifestyle, she not only uh, had enemies on the street; the other women were our competitors. And when she's working the streets, she's taking money from Johns, who the other women feel that could be going into their pockets. So that competition—that's that's very dangerous. She, she Shelley has been beaten up by other women a few times. So you have that danger. And then you have the danger of just getting into a car with John, right? You never know if you're going to upset the man enough. But, you know, he has a few screw loose, uh, screws loose, and maybe he's going to take you for a ride somewhere. So that's going to happen. I'm not talking about a serial killer. I'm just somebody with a few screws loose who you just pissed off because maybe you hustled some six months ago and you had forgotten. So... You got that going on. Yes, you do have the odd, crazy cop. You also have what's going on in the crack houses. In the crack houses, you sit down with other people who do crack. You're doing illegal activities. You may be listening to one dealer talks about an event that happened last week in which maybe he stabbed somebody and a crime occurred. Now you have that information. They know that you have that information and that you have a big mouth And, you know, that can get you into trouble too. And if they find out, you know, maybe you overheard something, uh, you could be dangerous just from that crack house. There's a lot of people with mental instabilities that are in crack houses too that could just simply go off. You know what I mean? Like... And these are people that are doing doing drugs and they face traumas in their life and sometimes they have mental uh mental issues as well. And there's no reason other than that, they just they just go off and you could be at the wrong place at the wrong time when something like that happens as well. So uh, these things occur on a daily basis while you're out doing your binge. Um, so where does death come from? Well it can come from anywhere. Um, you know, crack cocaine in itself is not so much in a, a substance like heroin where you can overdose easily if you're if you're not measuring or if it's bad stuff. Crack cocaine's a little bit different from that it can stop your heart. But generally speaking, you don't have the o- overdoses. In the last year, uh, we weren't sure if Shelley had graduated from crack cocaine onto crystal meth, which was becoming more and more prevalent on the streets of London um it, it is possible I know i looked looked at her a few times, and there is you know, a certain degradation to your lips when she start the heavier uh, like the needle substances or the substances like mass and that's something I discussed with Laura too you really seen a change in the in her offensive appearance in the last so if, if she did graduate onto another substance, um, well, then, yeah, there is a potential chance of overdose then. So, you know, the the, likely, the likelihood of how she died, I mean, you just go by the statistics, the likelihood is that she probably died amongst people she knew, you know, the, the, drug, the drug users. That's kind of what I felt, but you don't really know a drug, like I said, death can come from anywhere. The last time I saw her on the street, I was dropping off a friend on Dundas. We were having coffee and just an older friend of mine, and I dropped her off at her apartment, and Shelly had seen my van and come across the street to say hi to me. I, I think it would to be in a few months since we've seen each other. So, you know, she asked for a cigarette, and we, we yakked a little bit, and I had noticed that she was really disheveled, more than usual. And I had to ask her, you know, the usual questions. How long have you been out? Blah, blah, blah. What's been going on? And I was concerned. I, I was. I saw an unhealthiness to her. There's always an unhealthiness, but I mean, I saw she was really degrading. And I was a little bit worried for her. And I just said, how long can you keep this going? You know, you're in your 40s now, and, you know it becomes more dangerous for a woman. You become more vulnerable in your 40s because, you know, the out there aren't going to be as patient with you. You're not uh, you're not 20 years old anymore. You know, you're showing signs of age and the rest of it. And, you know, there's other women out there that are half your age um, that they can easily go to. So if you're ripping them off, you know, you're in more danger of violence as a 40-year-old. Uh, also, you're going to see less money coming in. From from John's, so you know, they just are degrading, and I just, I just wanted to be a very gentle reminder that maybe it's time to, you know, you need to maybe move out, right, out of this, and start working on because you, you, you can't go forever, you know. You don't see, you know, sixty-year-old hustlers on the street, so everybody has to leave at some time, and maybe it, it's that time. And she looked at me and she said she thought that she had another 10 years. And I was, I had no answer for that. I, You know, I'm, what do you say? You can't say anything, right? You just go, wow, wow. You know, and it, when really it was over yesterday. And you think you have another 10 years to go on this one that you can play the game for another 10 years. Wow.
0: If you could say... Something to the people out there that know what happened to Shelly, what would you say to them?
1: Well, you know what? You know, I would betray myself to say I didn't want to find the culprit or the other people involved. I'm a realist, though, and I know that it's probably not going to happen. You're talking about a subculture whose, you know, number one rule is do the drug, don't rat. You never rat each other out, you know. So they need to protect their own, and it's a secretive type of subculture, it's paranoid. Uh, subculture. These are people that are doing illegal activities every day. So you get very paranoid because you're scared twenty four seven. You're always looking over your shoulder, and that has effect on your brain. And so surrounding yourself with people like that, you know, I look at that. I look at that community, and I say, you know, there a chance that we're going to find out if Shelly did pass away uh, or something bad happened to her, and she was in the uh, company of. People in that particular community, are they going to come forward and admit, or are they going to rat each other out? Oh, definitely not. No, no, I've I, I passed that. I think if it did happen, it would have happened that, you know, a long time ago. The investigation was still fresh, and the media coverage was still fresh. I think that's what would have happened. As a friend of Shelley, it's a very, very close friend, and I think I can't speak for her sister, but for my particular... From my particular point of view, it's the lack of closure. It would be nice if somebody could write a note to the uh, to the police department anonymously even. Uh, you don't even have to call. You can just drop a note off or you can say it on the street or give it to a friend to drop it off. However you pass that information, there are ways to do it. So it's anonymous. And uh, just let somebody, or you know leave it in a place, just let somebody know where she is. Uh, You know, and and if that is a body. In my personal relationship with Shelly, she once told me, uh, she said, Jamie, if if anything ever happens to me, find my body.
2: That concludes Part 3 of Stand Up Speak Up's Finding Shelly DeRoche series. As we know, all of what you've just heard about what may have happened to Shelly is nothing more than speculation. We learned from Mike Earnfield how statistics can point us in the right direction, and Shelley's friends and family know her life well enough to make assumptions, but we really don't know, and may never know, the answer. One of the most interesting things to us is, after taking a deeper look, realizing just how much can be known or presumed about these cases. Typically, when a person goes missing like this, the police and media release a description and when the individual was last seen, and as a general public, that's all we really get. We never hear the story about their life. We never get those statistics indicating what likely happened. We don't hear about the stalkers that caused concern for these individuals. But as we've discovered with Shelley, there's always more to the story next time in part four of finding shelly deroche we use the awareness created around shelly's case to start the conversation about change looking at what's being done now to help these women and what should be done but isn't stay tuned for your bonus content today carla speaks with a homeless couple from the streets of london time That was Callie with This Is Goodbye. While researching for this podcast series, Carla went directly to the streets of London and spoke with whoever she could find, including this homeless couple. Some of their conversation is your bonus content today on Stand Up Speak Up.
0: Why don't we start off with even what your sign says? Um, Homeless and happy. Maybe tell us.
6: Homeless and happy? Yeah, why are you homeless and happy? Yeah because uh, we don't have the day-to-day bills. We don't have the headaches. uh, No car payments. No
0: car payments. Nothing
6: like that. Don't wake up in the morning thinking, okay, how are we going to pay a bill? And did
0: you guys meet on the streets together?
6: No. No. How did uh, you guys meet? At a dry house house, uh, Christmas dinner. I went to recovery for addiction. And uh, she was at the dry house helping for dinner and it
7: was my uncle's dry house yeah. mm.
6: and her uncle invited me over and my friend man invited me over for dinner and he told me tanya'd to do and i'm like okay i'm coming so yeah her uncle wasn't too happy with me being with her but so was it was 14 years
0: difference oh those 14 years difference yeah. but was it love at first sight <laughs> oh yeah for me
6: yeah <laughs>
0: it was Well oh, it's yeah. sweet so what did you guys do before? What what was your life before you were homeless?
6: I was a drunk. I was a crack addict, and alcoholic. She seen the worst of it. I went and got help. I lost my daughter. I went to recovery, and while I was in, my ex gave away my daughter to CAS while I was trying to get help. She called it running away. Uh, I, I thought I would help myself to help them, you know, so...
0: How old's your daughter?
6: Two years old. Uh,
0: yeah. So that's hard. Do you have any kids? Yes, I do. I
7: have four beautiful daughters. And
0: what... How are they doing? What are
7: they? Um, they're in CAS. I asked for help because I lost my mom. Yeah. And I, I had a hard time with yeah, of my of course. Kids. Kathleen, my oldest, was getting under my skin, and I locked myself in the basement from hitting her. I did not want to hit my daughter, so I locked myself in the basement, asked for help with my dad. And then um, I told my dad we have to call CAS, because I needed to get help. That's,
0: that's brave of you. And then um,
7: my daughter, Kathleen, my oldest, she, she told me, she asked me to let her in. And I said, no, not right now. And then my dad came over and I said, I needed help with CIS. we got to call CIS. And then my kids were removed from my house to my dad. And um, then my stepmom had hit my kids. And then they were in a foster home. And because I asked for help with my kids, um, I lost my kids. They used my disability against me
6: learning
0: disability.
7: How do you feel safe living on the streets? Yes. Like, by myself, I wouldn't, but I have my fiance. I feel like I'm safe, because I know he would protect me.
0: When you see some of the girls, such as Shelly, Shelly was a working girl. How unsafe do you think it is for them on the streets?
6: It's it's really unsafe, yeah. Um, She hasn't been exposed to that yet. Like, uh, I was smoking a bit of soap, yeah. and she goes, I want to try it, and I'm like, I'm not going to try it. And she's like, why not? You look like you're happy, and you're hurting me by doing it, so why can't I try it? And I told her, I'm like, see that one girl? And she watched the one girl jump in and out of the car, okay? She'd jump into one car, come out of the car, jump into another, out of another, you know? And she's like, what's she doing? And I'm like, that's what she's doing to get what you want to get from me right now. And she's like, really? And I'm like, she's selling herself to keep her high that you want me to get you hooked on it. And she's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I say no to you. And she's like, it ain't because you don't love me? And I'm like, no, that's why, because I love you. You know, I ain't gonna let you do this shit. I, I'm the one in yourself, you know? But she's there for me, she is my eye, she don't believe it because at times in my head, I need that. Just to escape, and it ain't escaping her, it's escaping all the garbage of the street, you know?
0: What would you say is the biggest garbage of the street? What is most frustrating?
6: The dealers, early. the dealers in the pins. They're, they're always constantly, hey, hey, do you need, do you need? No, I'm trying not to touch it today. Oh, well, when you do decide to fall down, I'm here for you. Well, why can't you be here for me when I'm not trying to fall down? You know? Like, hey, come on, I'll buy you a coffee instead of, hey, I'll give you a free piece. Would
0: you say there's a lot of pimps in this area?
6: A few, yeah. Uh... I know about five of them. Yeah, and, and I don't know them known, but I I know them through the girls, through the guys.
0: And do they are they around this area here?
6: Uh, three of them are yeah, right around the Richmond R and D. Uh, McDonald's yeah okay they're usually out there with the girls every so often and then they'll take off for a bit come back yeah.
0: is the evening up. is the evening more busy here with all the pimps and the girls
6: yeah I'm a lot more uh, a lot more unsafe yeah
0: if you were to guess what happened to Shelly what what do you think
6: I wouldn't even think that uh, we, I, I'd hope she's still okay uh, that's I,
0: I don't wish anything bad upon anybody. Do you think there's a predator that's picking up girls and murdering them?
6: There's always predators everywhere, right? right? No matter where we go, yeah. there's always, like look at the Highway of Tears with some Native women, yeah. you know, all through Canada. So I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I don't know.
0: Do you ever see any suspicious type people that are kind of circulating the girls quite a bit or?
6: We see all kinds of creepy people.
0: When we're out tonight, um, my friends and I, do you feel like we'll be safe going out there and asking people questions, or how would you recommend we...?
6: Yeah, but just watch how you approach them and always stay like an arm's length away. Okay. Like, uh, arm's length and knife length away. Yeah, okay. just... Because they, they start coming out at night, the creeps and stuff. Oh, yeah. The, the streets get pretty chaotic at night, yeah.
2: Thanks again for listening to Stand Up Speak Up.
4: I'm Matt Kundel, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories all for free.